Hello, my name is Michael Nunley from Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. I had a great time on Comics and Pop-Tarts podcast talking about making comics on that long and windy road it takes to make them. I recommend this show to anyone who wants to give a little bit back to the community and for creators, maybe learn a little something about making comics. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics and Pop-Tarts podcast channel. My name is Inevitable Mike, your wonderful host, bringing this show live, well, recorded, from the Gulf Coast of Biloxi, Mississippi. Tonight's guest is Jay Moores, and he has an awesome, awesome tabletop game that he's uh, got on Kickstarter right now that he's going to tell us all about as soon as he's done introducing himself. Welcome, fellow member of the Ink team, game creator, writer, and all-around creative personality, Jay Moores. How you doing tonight, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. How have you been, Michael? Um, I'm actually, uh, I was eight minutes away from forgetting I had a show because I'm in the middle of moving addresses. Oh, um, my. <laughs> addresses or everything else? Uh, we're moving from an apartment into a house. So, um, yeah. Well, that's exciting. It, it is exciting, except for you find out your relatives aren't as great housekeepers as they thought they were. Oh, yeah, there's always that. You might find something exciting in the process. True. It's always true. How you doing tonight, man? I'm okay. I'm okay. I uh, I was a little confused at first, uh, thinking um, I, I'm in uh, Eastern Standard Time, so I uh, I was trying to go an hour early, but that's okay. <laughs> never too early to be prepared, man. What does that what does that Gandalf say? You're you're never when you're a wizard, you're never late. You're you, you arrive only at the time right. you expect. Exactly when you intended to. Yeah, something, yeah. <laughs> something along those lines. To watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into like what was your first love? I, I know I do a lot of comic stuff on here, and that might not be your bread and butter. Of course, well, if you have done comic yeah, stuff, that's, that's I'd where, love to hear about it. That's where I come from. Uh, well, it's not originally where I came from, but um. Uh, you know, my mom and my dad, but they weren't comics. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I'm an artist and a writer. Uh, I've done a lot of work for all kinds of publishers, including uh, I've done some work for DC, Dynamite. Um, I've done a lot of work for Fivefinity. And I'm actually the official colorist for um, uh, Cherry Comics, if you've heard of that. Nice. And other than that, I have my own independent comic label called Eden Park Tales. I've done a lot of indie comics with people, a lot of anthologies. I've written a lot of uh, novels, short stories. I've always heavily illustrated them because I can't help myself. Yeah. <laughs> at one, and now I am a game designer. So let's add that to the list. <laughs> and you, you've done a lot of art for this game, too, because you know, your background is, is primarily art, comics, writing. Yes. So it, it only makes sense, I guess, is to go straight into the, the game design aspect, which is a field that I'm actually fairly familiar with because my first year of college was actually in game design. Oh, it was, yeah, it was one of the fields I wanted to go into until they basically told me, like, well, game designers, they don't get to design the games they want. They, they listen to other people and they never get to tell the story. They basically just set assets and and no. do the do the dynamics. I was like, well, that's not fun. That's all malarkey. Whenever they, talk. 
That's like that's what that's the kind of job they can get you in is basically what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a fan, man, and um there was some there was some uh exponentially uh horrific life things happening on the other side and then I got injured at work and I decided to switch careers into writing because I've always had a knack for it, always wanted to do it. And yeah. uh, never well, really put myself in it, so Sounds like you wanted to go into the gaming to like tell stories anyway. Yeah. Pretty much, and it as I would discover, there's there's a field for it. Yes, there is. <laughs> and so, I think there might be a ghost rattling chains behind you. No. Oh, oh, those are actually my car keys. I was gonna say, no way, it's car keys. <laughs> Tonight's show is brought to you from inside my truck. <laughs> Woo! Help! Help! I'm in the trunk. <laughs> Funny story. I actually just released a uh, a blog series called uh, the um, the robot from Clarion Nine and the Big Blue Dinosaur, and I wrote it on the way to the store <laughs> as a Facebook post. And I had this old picture where I took of uh, my son's dinosaur plushie in the front seat driving the Nissan. Yeah, and I just kind of wrote it, and I created that. I designed the the cover for it and put it out on my blog website this this past week and that was one of the thing that was the that was what the story was based on the robot was calling 911 from inside the trunk of the car <laughs> if i was a robot in the trunk of a dinosaur's car i i, I definitely would want to... <laughs> uh, there's lots of avenues to go from there right? but um tell us primarily man so there's so many different angles to go from here um did you originally start out as writing or were you primarily just an artist and then you transitioned into writing and then that kind of transitioned into game game design. So how, how was that like? So I was, you know, I lived the life of a uh, portrait artist, murals, that kind of thing. Uh, occasional book covers. Um, but people always would tell me like my pictures always told stories, you know, like they could, they could see a whole story in the one picture. Right. And then I was on a family Disney trip some 15 years ago and I was thinking about how they're always scrounging around trying to pick out another fairy tale to do a, a, a movie about. Right. And I'm like, come on, how hard can it be to write a fairy tale? Like just write a new fairy tale. Why do you have to change like an old fairy tale? And then I thought to myself, well, why don't I write a new fairy tale? And so that's when I fell into writing. Um, I wrote my first novel called Illweed. Um, it was actually the first self-published book I did. It had probably 200 illustrations in it. It's still available to this day. Oh, wow. A lot of school systems actually bought it, which was awesome. Um, then I'd get letters from the kids who loved it and stuff like that. So it's a it's a young it's a young novel. It's a new fairy tale, and it was basically the story of the brother nobody liked. In fairy tales, you usually have the prince. This is the story about his brother. Oh wow! Yeah. The, the long-ignored, um, short-tempered brother. <laughs> <laughs> the middle child syndrome one. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, look at me over here. I'm doing stuff, too. <laughs> exactly. So he falls, he falls into the wrong crowd, and he, before, before long, he realizes he's the villain, you know? Right. And then he's got to overcome the situation he's in and learn to grow as a person, you know? Happy endings. <laughs> yeah, for for one one character growth throughout the story to a whole new different person. Well, that's what stories are all about. 
Oh yeah. That's kind of along the lines of the stories I try to write. Very character, uh, character narrative heavy driven. I'm not really a big, big fan of plot stuff. Um, I know comics is, is primarily, there's a lot of plot stuff, but it's usually because a lot of the comic publishers make their bread and butter with like combined shared universes and stuff. Right. And people like the, they get the excitement on like, you know, Thor crashes Captain America, or, you know, like what if Miles Morales, those types of things. Yeah. Yep. So that was, that was an illustrated novel though, right? Right. So that's, that's how I started self-publishing. Okay. Um, after that, I worked on another novel, and then I was working on a, an adult novel, which I, at the time, was spending a lot of time on the road. I mean, like four to six hours a day driving to and from my day job stuff. Oh, wow. And I began you know, writing the novel in my head, and, and shortly, maybe a month into it, I realized they had several hundred pages written. And I had no idea what I had written versus what I <laughs> thought about writing. Right. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I'm, I'm losing track of this because I, can't, I couldn't just sit and focus on it. Right. So I decided to break it down into small chunks. And I'm sitting there, like, drawing the character designs because I was planning to fill it with illustrations like the other ones. And I realized, you know what? I could break this down into, like, 30-page chunks and do it as comic. So I just took the main story that I had already written in my head and started to dice it up in the sections. And I started my first comic, which um, is called Autumn Gray. Uh, right now, there's actually eight issues out. I have people eagerly waiting number nine, which should have been out, except I kind of got sidetracked with this RPG. Right. Um, but I basically created a whole world for my for my comic series. It's a comic series about fairies and monsters existing in the modern human world and messing with them and like 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 people unwillingly are getting involved in fairy and monster matters and you know it, it goes down a very dark rabbit hole um but i created the whole world of these fairies and monsters coexisting with us in secret their whole political system all of that and that, so i had this world i created and then I had this comic in this world that I couldn't, I, I, and other stories started popping my he, in my head for this world. And I did not have enough time in, in, in my lifetime to create all the comics I, I was thinking of that would go in this comic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. being, being the artist and writer, it takes a lot of time to fill up, to write issue forget about an entire epic story um so I, I i realized i had this world i created and suddenly occurred to me i'm like you know what i could tell a lot of stories a lot faster if it was done like as an rpg um i could actually have people living in this world instead of just reading about it i also had this growing wish for a lot of conventions that i did um like not all of them, but a lot of them, you pay money to go through a door into a convention. Right. You're there to spend more money. And it's like, it's just about spending money. I mean, sometimes it's to meet a celebrity or, or, or an artist that you love. And, but you're, you're paying extra money to go into a place to spend your money. You know what I mean? And it's like, ah, like there should be more fun things to do. So for, I kept making small games for my table 
for something free for people to do just because I felt bad that they pay money to come in to just be pressured to spend more money. Um, it's a good point. So, <laughs> so that kind of branched off into the RPG thing as well. Uh, I have been pl- playtesting this game for uh, the last couple of years. And once conventions started happening again after the pandemic, I was actually doing sessions at conventions and I'd have like people booking booking time slots to come play nice. and other people crowding around the table watching. Uh, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, so finally I've launched the Kickstarter for the game, um, which I did a couple weeks back. It was fully funded in less than a week. And now we're heading steadily right now to 200% funded and we'll just keep going from there. Yeah. You guys, you guys have been breaking a whole bunch of different records. Uh, I know we talked a lot about it today in team chat. Um, just to clarify, though, this RPG is, is I guess, based off the Autumn Grey series, though, right? Yes, it is. Okay. So is- the whole concept of the RPG is where, like, you actually become the monster instead of just playing uh, a protagonist character like you would in a normal D&D game. Right. So in this game, you, you are building your own creature that exists in the human world. Um, you can be good. You can be male- malevolent. You can be mischievous you can kind of do whatever you want um but you have to start with 35 different races to pick from and then you choose what element you want your character to be strong in and then you just build a character um it's i took everything i could possibly think of every single superhero i could possibly think of any movie character i could possibly think of and i was making sure there was a way to make that character in this game Wow. I, so sometimes you actually like if you get a couple of abilities, you can mix them together, and you get you can get the desired effect of a specific uh, superhero or, or character that you like. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it once I created the basic system, it all kind of fell into place real fast. It actually kind of scared me. At, at that point, I just needed to work on balancing because there were right. certain abilities that were far superior to other ones. <laughs> you want to make something that's oh, too OP, and then everybody does that one here. <laughs> For like hardcore RPG people, that yeah. things and like I think I can punch a hole in the system if I do this, and that's what I wanted. I wanted people that could try to break the game, you know. And it and we ironed it all out, and and everybody always had a blast, even even when I was at the beginning of playtesting, and we were changing rules on the fly while we were going. They still. Still had a blast. Uh, the the whole system is super streamlined. Um, basically, at a comic con where you have noise around you and tons of distractions everywhere, I can get a table of people that have never played this before to totally get the rules in about ten fifteen minutes. Oh wow! It's it's a it's. I mean, it gets a little more complicated when you're building your character. So when they come into a, a game like that, I have pre-made characters. It's very, very quickly after looking at the sheet and I give them a little description of what the abilities they, their character has do. Once they get the, the basic premise of, of, of the way you roll the dice, it's universal. It works the same for everything. So then you can just read what the ability does and you totally get how you, how you use it, you know? Being able to jump right into it is actually, is actually uh, it's becoming more popular. I remember back in the day when they had, because uh, I think I picked up D&D when they were like at uh, 2.5, 3.0, and then I stopped playing at 4.0. Uh, 
Yeah. Because at that point they just they cut some stuff out that I I, I really appreciated in the two point five, and then I I I I put up with three point and three point five for a long time. Yep. And after a while, I just hey, I, I hadn't played it since straight up regular second edition. Oh I, really? I played RPGs in high school and then college. I played a lot of um, White Wolf games and stuff like that um, in college. But I hadn't touched D&D since high school, and that was second edition. And then here I am making a game, and I reopened the the old uh, RPG box. And I'm like, oh, my God. Look, I'm like looking at what's popular days. And, and I was looking at D&D because at first I was considering making a homebrew of D&D. Right. No, everybody just does that, and I want this to be its own thing. I, I, I don't want to be like a... It's just a, a mooching off another system. I, I wanted to create something totally unique, and it it, it really works. <laughs> it sounds very unique, man. Is it is it reminiscent of like a D and D style mixed with like some type of tactics combat system, or it's, how, do, well, how does how does it work? It's very role play heavy. So like um, counters and, and damage counters, um, maybe even rulers for like distance. Anything well, specific like that? Um, grid with okay. a dry, like a big dry erase grid that gotcha. I use for my games in particular because I can mark out. Because a lot of times when people are flinging different elements around, the terrain changes. So it's nice to be able to just have a marker and be like, "All right, this is now. You know, there's a big crack over here. There's a flood over here. There's, you know, whatever. Whatever everyone's tossing around changes the environment." So it's nice to have a dry erase version that you can just go, you know, all right, that's no longer there, you know? <laughs> that's that's interesting. So as you play the, the game, the, the game's environment, uh, terrain, it changes? It, it can. Um, it's okay. So combat is, is very chaotic in this game. The premise is that as a fake creature, you're kind of juvenile. Um, the, they're in general, they're... There are exceptions. There are races that are far more serious, um, but on the mo- in the most part, you're you don't give a crap about things. You're very self centered, you know. Um, and when you slip, it, when you're not in combat, your character's mental state is better, so you can you can cast things easier. They have better effects. But then you go into what I call conflict. It's not called combat. Basically. Okay. Somebody does something aggressively towards somebody else. We roll initiative, and then we, we you slip right into uh, combat where the rules change on abilities because your character can't concentrate the same way they did before. Oh. It was like a, it was like a conscious shift type thing, right? It's like uh, you can if you have a flight as an ability outside of conflict, you can just fly. You want to fly up to that tree, okay? You want to fly over there, no problem. But as soon as you're in a fight. You have to spend MP in order to maintain flying because you're just you're, you're distracted now. You know. Right. Okay, got you. And um, for those people who don't know about the the production of games, how long did it take from start to finish to to finish this game and get it out on Kickstarter? Uh two years. Two years. Wow. It's a long time, man. Well, I started playtesting a year ago. 
Uh, before that, you know, I was starting to play around with the idea of, you know, how close to Dungeons and Dragons do I want to make it? You know, how, how do I want my abilities to work? You know, you're just trying to figure out what you want the focus of the game to be and, and how you want it to feel to the players. And I wanted it to feel like we could do a lot quickly without having to look through books all the time. Okay. I, I didn't want, like, somebody to be, like, a rule monger that could... No, wait, I, I, that ability only has a range of 40 feet, and that guy's clearly standing 45 feet away. And you know. <laughs> That is one of the reasons why I left, uh, I left um, uh, Warhammer. Warhammer yeah. brutal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and, and rightfully so sometimes, but other times it's like people, it people get really petty. Cause, cause they just some people are just overly competitive, and they just they don't understand what fun means. Right. So, <laughs> game. If you choose to make your character a combat character, like if you if you make a troll, a, like a fast, strong troll, and then you decide you're gonna go up against you know somebody who's decided to make a cranky little mogwai or something, um, like you're gonna squish the mogwai. It's not it's not like like D and D where where like you trade blows back and forth. It's you have things that crush things and you have things that just don't. <laughs> so you got <laughs> to step out of that Dungeons and Dragons mentality where combat is, you don't get experience for combat in this game. You get experience for accomplishing tasks. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean killing the monsters or killing the people even. <laughs> does that, does that come in like the form of like a, I don't know, like a tax, a task sheet, or maybe like a deck of cards that's got tasks in it. Um, the way it works is it, it's broken down for a game master, uh, the person running it. Um, you usually you, you you develop personal goals for all the characters at your table. Right. And they accomplish things for that. You grant them. It, you don't gain levels in this game. You gain. Uh, it's called AP or affinity points right. on your elements. So, so you're building your character up by shopping for new abilities, basically. Oh, wow. Um, and then yeah. if you buy abilities, you, they unlock higher tiered abilities from there. It's a, all the abilities are based off a skill tree. There's actually a skill tree for each element. Um, but basically, as you accomplish your own personal goals and you accomplish the team goals, the, the game master rewards you with, with AP. Which then, once you finally rest, your character grows in their knowledge of powers. You know, like like when you camp for the night, that's when you can actually spend the points. In your uh, in your play tests, how long is uh, if if this is a thing in your game? How long is a session literally, like from start to finish? Oh, it's the standard thing that happens with any uh, tabletop role play game. You sit down for a two hour session, and and five hours later, everyone's like, "Oh my god, we got to go!" Like the sun's gonna. <laughs> Um, a session can be any length you want it to be. You could you could binge binge play all weekend if you really wanted to. Um, it's it it can just keep going. You can you know just like any you're familiar with tabletop games. It, it, yeah. The time can just fly, and then and suddenly you're like, oh my god, okay. We, uh, unfortunately, most of the people I play with now are older, like me. So we all have like jobs in the morning and, and somebody eventually goes, we got to wrap this up guys. I'm like, all right, all right, let's find a good spot to pause here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is there, 
is there a uh, like an overarching like um, like objective as far as like who wins or the most, or is it objective based based on like the game master's design or? So I mean, there can be an ultimate goal. There there is some big stuff going on amongst like the rulers of the Fey, right? And, and there's a certain ruler that's been suppressed by the other rulers and. Perhaps if you're on that one side, you're trying to liberate them, or if you're on the other side, you're trying to find a way to make the suppression permanent. Um, but that's like grand scheme kind of stuff. Or maybe you want to unlock what really happens to Fey when they cease to exist. There's all kinds of like you can start getting into higher powers and um, like upper high level things. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, but like you, said, you upgrade your character by getting new abilities and stuff, right? So right. that's kind of a progression system. And then so long as the game carries on, then that's just more that you can progress until everybody decides to end it. Or maybe the Game Master has an overarching objective. So like the Game Master would probably have some sort of a story in mind. And if it keeps going, it keeps going. You know, maybe... Okay. It, I mean... It, a lot of times, even especially in this game, I find it even more than D and D. Because at least in D and D, you're kind of like, "All right, we're going to go to this dungeon. We're looking for this treasure." In Fey, a lot of times it's like you try to guide them on a path to something. Like, I have an idea for this story. I'm going to try to get them to go this way. And suddenly, because of the nature of what they're playing, they might just decide to go in the opposite direction. And you got to just be ready to figure something completely different out. You know. <laughs> pick up and uh move on the go yes yep so i have a regular session of it going on um at a game store down here that's been super supportive to me so like they're kind of my guinea pigs when i want to try something new i throw it into their campaign but we play every week and like i had a certain mission idea in mind but i kept it real loose because i knew it they could easily decide that's not where they wanted to go and i don't like um, like forcing players into into a specific situation. I'm, especially in this game, I feel like the party is such a let's just say it's like a kaleidoscope of so many conflicting things, but somehow they function. They're very chaotic. Like like for instance, they pulled up to a compound and there were cameras. They saw cameras on the sides of the building and it was chain link fence around it. And the one who's kind of in charge was like, all right, guys, let's, let's put together a plan. And as soon as he said that, the one who decided to ignore him just popped through the fence and started running right for the building. And it just threw everybody into, like, I'm like, all right, roll initiative. And they're like, what? I'm like, yep, <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> no plan. Let's go. <laughs> now, being that this is based off the, the comic series, Autumn Gray, is there, is there like... Um... Like normally in, in some of the later RPGs, especially now, um, a lot of the games come with like three or four like built-in stories for players to just like pick up and, and quick play on. Yeah. Uh, are, are there stories set in the Autumn Grey verse that are that come with the RPG itself? So Autumn Grey takes place in a particular park in uh, New Hampshire. Okay. It's a, a fictional place, but I do have that place in the rule book. It gives you. I give you a full map, a layout of what exists where. I even give you character sheets for things that are specific 
from Autumn Gray, so you can use them in your own stories. And I give you a starting adventure where you travel in a troop, which is a group of fae that basically parade around through the woods. Um, and it basically it serves as like a tour of the different abilities and stuff like that, because it basically there's seven different elements that your character can be based off, and there's seven different adventures on this on this troop. And each one is handled differently. Like one is a standard, like go into the dungeon and retrieve the treasure. And then one of them is like an ambush and trying to escape from like an alchemist lab. And one of the, one of them has to do with being able to sneak through an area filled, filled with people successfully. You know, so I tried to like, it's like a, a trial run. It gives you a little sample of different things you can do with your characters while staying in a park as opposed to in the middle of a city trying to sneak around, you know? Awesome. That sounds pretty cool, man. It's like, uh, it's almost like, um, like over the hedge, uh, meets Avalon from the King Arthur tales. Yep. Yep. Or, or like other people pointed out, it's all like, like the comic series fable where, you know, you have fictional characters hiding amongst the people. That's the, um, Man, I don't want to make you feel old or disrespect anybody who feel who's that age. That's fable. That's uh, that's an older comic, isn't it? Though, is it really? Damn it! I thought I was being cool and hip by saying that. <laughs> uh, when you say fable to me, I'm thinking about the game that came out, you know, for the Xbox One long time ago, and had two two pretty successful sequels. But I do remember Xbox mm-hmm. One long time ago in the same sentence means okay. that we're definitely thinking different brackets. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because I, I remember seeing uh, someone bringing in Fable uh, comics to the stash on Comic Book Man a few years back, and they were talking about how it was it was one of the most successful fantasy comics when it came out. Yep, yep. It had a lot of it had a lot of interesting characters. It was the first time they they had uh, uh, elves as primary characters, and then there was the D and D aspect of it, and then there was a lot of uh, color traits that were being used in those comics that you couldn't find really anywhere else because it was high fantasy. I was like, uh, so I just trying to make sure we we're on the same fable. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. I, I never read any of them. Um, I don't, I don't even know what they're about, but they, they sound interesting because it's, I'm a guy. you know, you know the game system, uh, telltale games. Yeah. They have a, a series called wolf among us. Okay. Excellent game. I think you can actually play the first chapter for free. But it's it's literally it takes fate it's it's fable it takes place right before the first comic of fables, and huh. it, like the comic, um, that, that's one thing Telltale always does with its games. But it definitely is a great way to experience that kind of a thing without having to sit down and start, you know, going through the massive decades long uh, comic series. I actually, I actually remember when that came out. Um, Telltale did a lot of things. Um, I don't think they're around anymore. I'm not sure if they closed or if they were bought out. Um, they did a lot of amazing things. The Jurassic yeah. Park one, The Wolf's Among Us. Um, there was a few more they did right before. And I even think they picked up the uh, the Telltales of the uh, the Walking Dead series, yeah, too. Yeah, Walking Dead big one for them, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good series, man. So overall, for the RPG, um, you're happy with the success of the game. Are you thinking expansions at this point, or are you, t- are you thinking leaning more towards going back to Autumn Gray and finishing out the arc? Well, or- I'm going to have to juggle the two. Um, I, my Autumn Gray fans have been very patient with me, but <laughs> I, 
I gotta get stuff out to them. So as soon as as soon as the Kickstarter is over, I'm going to finish Autumn Grey number nine, and then right after that, I should be fulfilling the pledges at that point. And I want to start my first expansion ideas, one of which is playing humans in Fae, which would be a very different angle to come at it because then Fae are extremely dangerous because, you know, they're, they're wielding magics and things you don't understand. Right. So I'm, I'm going to have a, like, playing humans book. Um, I'm also thinking about doing specific regions. Like if I do uh, San Diego Comic-Con, for instance, having a book of San Diego and, like, the hidden Fae locations there. Uh, that's That's really neat. Getting a little transmedia there. Yep, yep. And then, like, wherever I do a Comic-Con, maybe having, you know, the local the local Book of Faye. That That's actually really, really, really cool, man. That'd be a really good marketing. Take some of the urban, find some of the urban legends about the area and find Faye ways of explaining them, or, you know, unsolved mysteries kind of stuff and just filling it up with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. That's awesome. I think uh, I think in Vegas, um, there was a there's an urban legend that that raptors exist in the desert. Yeah, I've heard that one. Yep, <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. I actually want to work out like how, like why people thought they saw that, you know, and have it explained through me, you know. Well, it's because all the dinosaurs they went in the holes and then they evolved just like humans did, and and they're called draconians and that they shapeshift. That's right. Just like <laughs> I'm shaped right now. I just had dessert, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll express you some tums. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, um, what is uh, what's a uh, outside, you know, making comics and working on the game? It sounds like your plate's like really full. That in between that work and juggling, you know, all the stuff we do for Inked, and then kind of like, what is your what is a person like yourself? What, what do you consider downtime like? Um, my wife forces me to stop every once in a while in order to preserve my marriage. So that's kind of my downtime is when she basically she's like, "You gotta stop!" Like, like, like all right, all right, we'll we'll do something, do something non me in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> so is that the agreement? Like, you can do whatever you want to until I say stop. Like Simon said. <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, we all know it's, it's all about balancing everything. Right. I mean, I don't have enough time in the day to do everything I want to do every day. I have a big dry erase board on my wall next to my desk here, and it has all my projects currently on it and the dates they're due. And it always stares down at me. It's like, you need to get this done. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> you put a, you put a board of saw run up there. <laughs> yeah, I paint a big red eye over it, looking at me. Uh, keeps you in check, though, don't it? <laughs> Eat it because it, it got it, it's since the pandemic. It's just been crazy. I I, I don't know what happened. Uh, suddenly, you know, I'm doing this year. I've probably done maybe two dozen book covers. Um, I have a bunch of comic anthologies I'm doing work for and I, obviously the RPG uh, let's see here I'm looking up at the wall I got a children's book I was supposed to have finished two months ago um, 
halfway, but they're being very understanding, which probably doesn't help them. Uh, I'm the art director for a movie place. I have a couple posters I got to make for that next week. Uh, I got some Vampirella stuff I got to do this upcoming week. Yeah, I got a lot of things over there. <laughs> uh, sounds like a to-do list. I think most people would be like, I wish I had that. And then at the same time, from your side, it's like, you think you do? <laughs> well, I anybody. So it's it's always, you know how it is when you have deadlines on things. It's always in the back of my head. Even when I sit down to relax, do something with the family, I'm just in the back of my head. It's like, the date is coming. The date is coming. You need to get this done and in the mail. And like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh it's like uh a Jay and Silent Bob where like where Jay has those angels pop up on his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh and, and then the faint the faint fading noise of a drill just <laughs> as, as the dates come forward it just gets louder and louder and louder. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's it can be daunting. What uh let's talk about that for a minute, man. What is uh aside from your wife pulling you away and refocusing you you know, from reality where everybody else lives, where, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what, what tips or, or guidance could you give on, on balance to, to people out there who might be struggling with that, you know, creatively or might not know that, you know, this type of responsibility actually comes with, you know, a balancing act that you have to maintain and kind of learn how to master. Right. You, you, basically you have to weigh what's important to you. And make sure you put time aside for, for it no matter what. And that goes for anything, whether you're a creative, not a creative. Um, you know, you, I always say you, you, you only live once. And I know it's oversaid, but I, it, I mean, if you spend all your time doing things you don't enjoy, you've just wasted all your time. Because the one thing you never get back is your time. That's true. Um. So, like, you know, I love my family. I will always make sure I spend time with them. But I, but I also love my art, and, and I will also make sure I'm always spending time on that. Um, I Obviously, I get art projects I do not enjoy, but I take them because, you know, they're for people I, I care about or, or, or it's a foot in a door that I definitely want to keep there. Um, and those are always kind of tough. Because I'll sit down to do them and the time will go much slower. Or actually, the time will go much quicker because I haven't, I don't, I, I wander away from them. I feel bad for that children's book because I'm not too excited about it right now. And, right. and I, I, it's right there at the top of the list because it was already due. And I see it there and I'm like, oh, I got to get that done. And then I'll look at something else and listen, like, ooh, that sounds like more fun. And I go do that, you know? <laughs> That is, uh, I, I hope they don't listen to this. <laughs> Fortunately, the author is not a tech-savvy person, oh, so okay. they're going to be listening to uh, podcasts, I don't think. And if they do, I'm sorry, I just, I will get it done, it'll be great. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't find it interesting, but we're going we're gonna to do it anyway, because that's my work ethic. Yes, it is, and it's very not my worth ethic to not have it done way ahead of time. But I have not been able to do anything way ahead of time anymore because I just have too many things, and I'm just 
just managing to get them mailed out, you know, a couple days before they're due, and I'll send out the email like, it's on its way. Well, I, I think when it comes to deadlines and, and balancing acts, so long as you maintain, and this was something that I, I, I watch, I watch Film Courage. It's a, it's a series on YouTube that talks about story writing, and it's, it's a group, it's a, it's a couple that interviews screenwriters to talk about narrative and, and writing. And one of the things they always go over is deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, they always, they always say that nobody, nobody really, minds that you that you communicate that deadlines may or may not happen right they can plan for that but if you don't say anything like two or three weeks and it's past the deadline they're less likely to be forgiven forgivable yeah and and you literally probably slam that door shut you know right it's a communication you you especially if you're going to be late you just got to be up front and be like look i i want this to be good if I if I bang it out and send it to you on time, right. I'm not going to be at the level I want it to be at. We need to. I need to spend a little more time on it. And ninety nine percent of the time, they they're good. It, it's just when they have somebody else beating the head, the deadline on their shoulders, like they might say, like I I gotta I gotta get it. You, know, you, you gotta get it here. Yeah, I think I think communication. Um, when it comes to balancing, they kind of go hand in hand because you can't if you if you overload your plate and somebody's got time to afford to move the schedule around, yeah, be better than just straight I've, up saying, you know, I can't do this. I've had too many things to do at the same time, and I'll yeah. reach out to each of them, and you know, whichever one's like, no, it's okay, like I don't really need it. I'm like, okay, that's gonna pushed right. over. <laughs> Right, and it, and it kind of has to be that way sometimes. Cause... A lot of times you don't want to say no because once you're on a list for something, the first time you say no, they might next time. Right. And it, so you always have that pressure, like, well, I got to take it. You know, how, how, what, a lot of times, like with sketch cards, I do, I do a lot of those. Like, I'll, I'll ask, what's the minimum I can take? You know? Well, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to get on most lists too, especially for publishers. They they write you in there. If you do one job with them, they put you on a callback list. Yeah, I'm sure. And then the first time you then, see, they're like, okay, we'll put someone else there then. And then right, and and then it's either you you spend a few years trying to climb back to that list, or they just you know you don't ever get a callback again. Yeah, not that it's unreliable, but it's just the nature of the business, really. Got so many people to pick from, they don't need to worry that much about. Which is you the know. cold hard truth for artists, right? It is, and the other <laughs> is there are too many people that will do what you're trying to make a living doing for free. Oh yeah, that's Which, or, or or under or undersell or or kind of cut the cost in half, right, to direct traffic. And I I get it if from out of it, I mean if you can get you know a bunch of people that you know willing to do it for a quarter of the price of someone who's trying to make a living doing it. It's like what? You know, it's hard to say no. <laughs> well, that's why a lot of artists just veer off and they just stick with covers because it's something that's like always needed, right? And it's it's a one shot. You, you kind of get all the attention for the comic. I feel bad because the interior work is ten times more difficult, it takes right. more time, and they are the one that's at least nowadays. I feel like it's all about the covers. Like, like they have somebody. Well, I mean, 
for everything. I mean, it was kind of like that back in the day. That's kind of what tanked the the comic industry for a while in the nineties. Was like the the fucking twenty five different variant variant covers for like one comic, and they did that for a bunch of them, and people just like we can't just like fork over one hundred and fifty bucks on this stuff. Like what? Yep. Kind of just tanked off, but indie comics, man, it brought that cover thing back. Like cover artists make. Like I know an artist can make you know six seven maybe eight hundred dollars per book, but a cover artist makes two three four sometimes even five six hundred dollars right off the bat, and they they get that most of the time up front. Whereas like a cover takes take me if I'm in the in the in the zone, like I'll get it done in an afternoon. Like I could do a whole cover in an afternoon. Jesus. Versus like- interior, where you know you're gonna spend a couple days on each page. Man, and it's it's wild. Comics is a weird is a weird atmosphere. A lot of it's kind of backward as far as quality goes. And then, and then you find those people you get caught up in there. I was like, well, if there was no story, there'd be no art. Well, yeah, but if there was art, there'd be no story. <laughs> like the art would... makes makes you buy the comic. <laughs> the story makes you buy the second comic. Right. That's that's kind of in the indie world. That's how it works. Um, a lot of times, like. I see it with Autumn Gray even. Like, I used to sell issue one all the time because people want to start at the beginning. And I felt by the time I got to issue six, I had probably 30 comics under my belt. And I felt by the time I got to six, I'm like, one isn't a good representation of what I can do with a comic anymore. Right. So I actually took one through five, created an anthology, and I'm like, you can buy that entire book, but I also made six a safe starting point. Okay. Six became my new single issue if you want to check it out. You know what I mean? Right. But then what happened was, more often than not at a comic show, on Saturday somebody would buy number six, and they'd come back in Sunday and be like, all right, I need the trade book and number seven and number eight. <laughs> so, so you just skipped like the release of the single issues and just went straight to trade with those, huh? Well, I yeah, I because I all I was selling number ones all the time, and I'm like, I I was inexperienced when I made number one, right? I I the story's a slow build, and there was nothing really in number one to really grab you, other than like if you're if you like movies that slowly build up to the reveal. Right, would enjoy it, but I felt like at least one through five, things have built up to a significant point. You're invested by by, well, I mean you're invested before five, but by five you're like, all right, I'm I'm in this, you know. Right. Like I've fallen down the rabbit hole with you at this point. Yeah, that's true. And usually the kind of the first comic is usually really just a setup. Yeah. I mean. Most and most comics from publishers are setups, but you'll have like you'll have some face offs, or you might have a hook at the end that that brings you back, or or have like a big action scene right at the beginning, and then all right, let's how did we get here? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I've never been a fan of that type of storytelling. It 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 kind of cheapens the blow, I think, like it gives you a peek, right? But I I feel like they're, they're trying to hook you, you know, that's that's what they're. And and that's that's one of the things that that I was actually I actually learned from some some editors this week this past week. Uh, Heather Antos did a uh, an interview on uh, 
comic comic writers for writers it's a youtube channel and uh one of her biggest things that she said she learned was you, you never you never start a comic with a hook because it cheapens it cheapens the plot mm-hmm. and it kind of sets you sets people's expectations and if you don't meet those expectations and be, they come they become very disappointed with the product and that yeah. hurts the next story after that so even if the next group of collaborators isn't on like the next Miles Morales what if story canon like they might not the sales might depreciate because you know we set them up and then we failed them on the story and when we went to go deliver so same thing uh, with, uh, with 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 television series and stuff like that it's the same kind of structure it's like yeah. if you give them everything on the first episode it's like well you're gonna lose them but they'll, they'll stick around for two maybe three and then they'll they'll just drop off like all right what am i wasting my time for now yeah it has to be significant i think one of the most significant plot reveals i saw was in bat batwoman season three are, are you a fan of that show i should have watched it i i was very much into the batwoman comic um the the whole origins uh stuff with her and um alice that whole thing um and then i was ex- excited that it came out but i also didn't have television anymore uh i, I don't know I'm for most television. We I, I have Netflix and Disney Plus. Just to, you know, if I'm going to sit down and take a break, but okay. like I, I didn't have regular television, so I didn't have a way to watch it. Okay. Heard from people that they were disappointed in it. I've actually done artwork for uh, I, for Crisis Core. Okay. Um, included her, so oh, I made nice. some specific illustrations of her, just as like a tribute to the comic that I enjoyed. Um, but I haven't seen it. Okay, I might not spoil it for you. But there's 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 an entire arc in season one between Kate and Alice, which her her real name's Beth because they're you know they're actually sisters. Yep. yep. But um, I, I knew that from the comic. Yeah, but uh, but like in season three, they they kind of reveal a plot point. Which gives the next. I'm trying to figure out how to word this without spoiling it for you and everybody else out there. They 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 give an explanation for the accident. Um, if you're familiar with the comic, then their their mom died in a car car crash, right? Yeah. Okay. So they they give an explanation for that, and it kind of ties in with the antagonist for season three. And I was really impressed by it because I don't think they meant to do that. I think one of the writers caught on and, and might've done some work in season one. And he got the script for that episode and was like, guys, this would be a really great idea. And it was too, man. It was, it was beautiful because it happened two seasons ago. So you've already forgotten right? what happened. And then when they, they just, they set it up that way, it just blows your mind. Like, Oh snap. It's like, you just, you, you place things in the right spot. So later on you're like, wait a minute. Let's pick this back up, and it's you know, <laughs> I, I think Star Wars, like as much as Lucas claimed that he had everything pre-planned out, I know from interviews and stuff that a lot of stuff they were kind of just making up on the spot. Like, oh, should we do this? Yeah, what the heck? Let's let's you know, sh- should Leia be Luke's sister? Sure, let's let's do that. <laughs> you know, but I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to spoil that for anybody who hasn't seen the original Star Wars trilogy. I apologize. Oh, um, to hell with that. <laughs> if they but, haven't seen it now, man, shame on them. But I think a lot of, the, you know, a lot of things like 
that series, they pick up pieces from the older movies and are like, so now I can take that and turn it into this, you know? Yeah. Well, there there was a lot of that that seeding going on in Obi Wan uh, this past month. The latest, I haven't seen the last one there, but I've seen the other ones, yeah. and yeah, and I think a lot of like the television series based on Star Wars have have done that. I think a lot of the movies have even done that. Like they take something that was like a somebody had said somewhere, and now we're going to turn it into a thing, you know? Right. It's it's just a it's just a um, a specific, um, let's see, option of storytelling. I just try to avoid because, yeah. I mean, I, I get it for suspense and for the basic mysterious mechanics that you could set up breadcrumbs and so, you can so, have them. You can have them follow your hooks, and then you you could pull a left hook at the end of it. That that's great, but I'd rather it be. I like it when you can do that without making it predictable. I feel like right. too often. You're like, oh, obviously, yep, yep, yeah, exactly, exactly what I was about to say. Obviously, has just happened. Yep, like it's, I, it's more, more they can formulaic. Yeah, I just, I, I prefer, I prefer the reader to grow with the character or character. The, my comic series, Autumn Gray, is it's definitely it's a slow burn. You basically you connect to the main character, and you kind of, you know, she's depressed and and outside of society and you you're kind of with her and then weird stuff starts happening and you know as much as she does about what's going on and then before you know you're you're going down the rabbit hole with her you know yeah i prefer it that way because um yeah. i mean that was one of the that was one of the popular right i like i like 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 my horror i like my horror real slow i like the slow build up just the like I don't need the like, the monster jumping out. You know, I, I don't mind not really seeing it ever, even, or like just like that final glimpse of it at the end. You know, <laughs> there's there's been a few that I've watched that like specifically set it up to set it up to fail on purpose, just to kind of like call out or make fun of like old horror tropes. Yep. Like a few scenes would be burned trying to set things up, and this would move. It's like Final Destination, like the liquid would move and then he would look at the up at the beam and the concrete would be cracking and the screw would be rattling. And then like 10 minutes later, it's like car comes through the front gate, smash somebody wow. and angel. It's a girl. You know? Yeah. It's it's, I just prefer the, the reader grow with the characters that way. It feels like they're on, they're all on an adventure together. Most comics that I read growing up, they were kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, then you care about the character. Yeah, like, you get thrown right into action, and same thing in movies and stuff. Like I, I like, and again, I'll go back to because they they kill so many characters, but I don't care about the characters. All what does it matter, you know? <laughs> well, well, that's because horror. They all have to have their specific amount of like expendable characters. Yep. Which, yep. which you- was. Smell them from a mile away. You get about five minutes into the movie, you're like, "There's the character who's going to live," and I love it. When <laughs> you... And suddenly, that character gets off, and it just like throws you, like right off your game. You're like, "Holy crap!" Like they took the trope of the character that's going to make it, and just halfway, that... like now, what do you think's going to happen, huh? <laughs> that reminds me of uh, you remember that movie Cabin in the Woods? Yep. 
I I thought for sure Hemsworth Hemsworth's character was gonna make it, man. Until his like dirt bike slammed into that invisible force field, I was like, damn. And I thought I thought the uh, the other kid who came with her that was her love interest, I thought he was gonna make it. Nope. And we thought the pothead was dead. Sorry for whoever's listening. That's a good movie, but I'm kind of spoiling it. But like he ends up coming back at the end. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, it's pothead. Like, <laughs> and that, I appreciate that can catch me off guard. You know, yeah. same comic, same thing with a, a novel or a television series. Like, like surprise me. Come on. Yeah, prose is prose is. I'm not gonna say easy, but it's it's a harder sell. Right, because there's no visuals. There's there's nothing to pick up on. Only keywords. Yeah. Only keywords and whatever empathy you can throw in there to you know kind of move that person who's reading on the page turn. And it's it's interesting. I think I think growing with the characters though is is the best way to tell a story because you just especially if that story evolves. You know, like Percy Jackson and the Olympian series that Rick Riordan did, and then the Harry Potter series, which was popular as hell. We got to see him grow from a kid all the way up to an adult. But when he started, he didn't know anything about what was going on. Just right. like, so it's like you learned with him, you grew with him basically. Right. And it's like such a great way to do it. Like the best way to connect to, to a character I've done. Um, I've written a couple stage plays and I always, I realize I always have the character that doesn't know what's going on. So he's got to figure it out. And, and He's got to ask the questions, and it just helps the audience because, like, this is the guy that's going to help me understand what's going on. Okay, got it. <laughs> I mean, that was basically the whole formula for like Supernatural. Yep, there'd be an inciting incident, which would be either a murder or a newspaper article, or they'd have they'd see it happen, and then there'd be like, okay, well, we got to learn who the victim was, and then we got to find out what happened, which usually was like uh, dress change, and then they'd go impersonate officers or park rangers, and they. would question the Vic and then as soon as they figured it out and it was like well what weapons are we going to use and then at the end of it it's like it's either dead or it just carries on to the next episode a few of them had like a a hook or two where they'd be like they'd have to come back later I think a lot of the vampire ones were kind of like that yeah but uh, that was basically the formula for that whole show and and it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that way because like like growing with a character you get to learn what that character didn't know so it's like you're both finding it out at the same time Exactly. It's just a, it's it's a very easy way of, of engaging an audience. It's like it, it's it's tougher when you step into into a movie or something and all the characters are busy doing stuff and you don't know what's going on. It's, right. it's much more difficult to 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 hook an audience in that. Uh, you can, but it's just a much dif- more difficult. I think I think the only way for that to be possible if you had like so Star Trek's been out for like ever, right? Yep. Even before, uh, even before Star Wars, if I'm correct, and then you had um, a huge fan of of Star Trek, um, who did, who did Family Guy, who created a show called Orville. Yep. And then it's like you don't have to know what's going on because you are familiar with kind of the the formula the way that show was set up, but you find out as the story progresses in the show because that one's a little bit more plot based, but each episode's. When they don't do serial, each episode's just a canon where it's canon to the story, but not from the episode before. Yeah, yeah. I think so, that's the only way you can get away with that. Yep, yeah, it's kind of like what that kind of ties back to my game now. Um, one thing I wanted to definitely 
not do was create something familiar to D and D. Right. Like I have elves in my in my game, but my elves are not Middle Earth slash D and D elves. They are. I actually looked up, you know, old folklore. Like I, I separated it. You know what I mean? I, I took the old folklore versions of things and created those. Right. Um, so like my dwarves were pretty close to to accurate. They're like short Vikings that like to build things. Um, so that, that didn't change too much anyway, but, but a lot of like the other races and stuff, I, I was trying to separate the old folklore versions from the Dungeons and Dragons where everybody kind of thinks automatically thinks of them from, you know? Right. That's, that's a, that's a funny way to, to describe dwarves. I've always thought that dwarves were kind of like mini Vikings that just like to build stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Because they always used axes, and they were in, like, heavy armor, and they used round shields, and they... Stuff, yeah, they're always underground. Like, they talked like they were from, from, from straight out of Norse mythology. Right, except they were much shorter. <laughs> yeah, just much shorter, and they loved caves. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, are there any final thoughts you'd like to, uh, you'd like to put out there, like where to go uh, to get your stuff, like the Adam, uh, the Adam Gray comic or your website where they can connect with you? Um, so- about the Kickstarter, yep. So I'll start with the Kickstarter. Obviously, the best place to go for anything Jay Moore's right now, I would strongly encourage people to go to my Kickstarter for Faye. If you go to Kickstarter and just type in FAE in the search window, my game pops up as the first thing, which it should. It's called Faye. Um, it there's links there. You can also purchase copies of my comic, Autumn Gray, through the Faye campaign. Um, it's again. Obviously, every sale of anything on my Kickstarter helps my Kickstarter, so that'd be the best place if you want to shop for my stuff. Uh, you can look me up. Uh, since my last name is spelled a little funky, uh, you type in Jay Moores on Facebook or Instagram. I'm the one who pops up, so you can find me there. You can also go to my publishing site, which I've been very bad about updating lately, um, which is called EdenParkTales.com. So it's Eden Park, and then T-A-L-E-S, as in like a story, uh, .com. That's the name of my little publishing house that uh, Autumn Gray's through, my novels are through, um, my other comics I've done with people are through there as well, and Faye is also going to be there once the Kickstarter's over. Nice, man. Awesome. Any final thoughts for the fans or creators out there or on any type of you know advice or last minute guidance or I'll anything? Said earlier, um, find out what you like to do and just make sure you make time to do it. Make the time. Make you. You gotta have fun. You know, like yeah, there's responsibility. Yes, you gotta do that job to make that money to take care of everybody, but. Don't be miserable all the time. Find something you like to do and make sure you spend time doing it. Unless it's like killing hundreds of people or, um, you know, uh, embezzling money or, yeah, do something legal that you like to do. <laughs> Unless you'd like to do something illegal, then figure out a way to turn it into an RPG game so you don't get arrested, but you feel that itch. Those things in Faye. <laughs> so, naughty thoughts. Faye is an excellent game for your naughty thoughts. Hey, man, that's awesome. We should create an ad for that. 
Oh, that's amazing. Jay, man, thank you so much for coming on to the show tonight. I, I really do appreciate your time and, and your effort and your contribution to comics as well as games and nerdum. It's 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 been a pleasure speaking with you. Been great, Michael. Thanks for having me. No problem. My name is Inevitable Mike. You're listening to the comics and Pop Tarts podcast, another wonderful episode. Remember, if you're a creator or if you just love comic books, you can go to inkpub.com. Check out our gallery, all of our live projects, all of our previous projects. We all have we always have links to, to other creators to where you can get those books, especially if you miss the live campaigns. Or if you're a creator and want to create something, you can go to inkpub.com. Go to the contact us and someone will get back with you with a solutions guide to figure out how to make your dreams come true, whether they're comic books, graphic novels, uh, tabletop games, even films. We, we do it all. We love it all. We're, we're a team of crowdfunding Avengers uh, of creators for creators, and we love what we do. Just like I love talking to you guys twice a week, every week all year long this is season three my name again is inevitable mike you've listened to the comics and pop tarts podcast brought to you from you know recorded live on the gulf coast thank you so much remember think positive and don't stop creating night everybody (laughs) 